So welcome everybody. Thank you for being here. Hi, Diane <clears throat> and Linda and Pamela. Um, we are spending this week and next week and the week after doing um, spiritual preparation for the high holidays. And uh, um, as I explained last week, if you weren't here, my practice for decades now has been to find phrases in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Bible, that in gematria and Hebrew numerology add up to the year we're entering and use those as kind of an I Ching uh, or kind of like letting the book open to a page, as Ariel and I were talking about before, to uh, get guidance for the new year. So I'm going to keep tracking some of those with you today and take our time. Um, and uh, I'm going to share my screen and share with you a couple more of these. Hold on a moment. Okay, I hope that's visible. Um. <clears throat> And I'm going to go down to this one first. Okay. This, these two phrases, this one and this one, are from the same passage in Isaiah. Huh. One is verse 7 and one is verse 10 that some of you will recognize. Oh, yeah. Because this is the Haftorah of Yom Kippur. And the fact that I got two phrases from the Haftar of Yom Kippur in the, again, in the way I play this game, it's like, okay, that's a bullseye. Let's pay special attention to this passage that we hear every year. So I want to look at this Haftar with you. I've also included the Hebrew down here, but I can't fit it all on the screen. So we'll, we'll stick with the English, which is, a, a, a good translation. Here's the phrase. Halo faros laraev lachmecha. Halo faros laraev lachmecha. Is it not your task to share your bread with the hungry? Adds up in Hebrew numerology to 782 this year we're entering. Then just a couple of verses later is the word tasbia. Tasbia. Tasbia, which means to satiate, to satisfy, to sate. Um, it's a beautiful word that comes up in the liturgy over and over again, uh, especially in Yismachu b'malchutecha. Um, which is uh, uh, it, part of the Shabbat liturgy, that on Shabbat, um, we are satiated and filled with pleasure from your goodness. So it's just a beautiful word. Uh, we also know it from uh, Deuteronomy, um, 
in Parshat, uh, um, it's uh, Bahalotcha, Parshat Bahalotcha, where it says, uh, when you enter the good land that yod heh has given you, and you have eaten your fill, you will eat and you will bless, you will eat <laughs> and be satiated, you will eat, be satiated, and you will give thanks. Okay, so that's the word satiate. It's one of my favorites because there's both physical satiation when you've had a good meal, and then there's also spiritual satiation when you're so full with the goodness of being alive that your cravings are still your dissatisfactions. You can be here fully. Okay, so in this Haftorah, um, again, which some of you are familiar with, but which we should repeat every year and study. Isaiah chapter 58, 10. Isaiah is speaking to the community on Yom Kippur. Now, when did Isaiah 58, when did this second Isaiah live? Probably um, in the fifth uh, century BCE. So we're talking about 2,500 years ago on a Yom Kippur. Jews have been fasting on this day for well over 2,500 years, which for me is almost reason enough not to let the tradition lapse, um, especially because of the meaning of the fast, which Isaiah makes clear. So I want you to keep in mind that this famous speech, this oration by Isaiah, takes is set on a Yom Kippur, and he is addressing the congregation who is fasting. And this is 2,500 years ago. And the rabbis, the framers of our liturgy, decided that we should read this passage every Yom Kippur, which I love. And as I say each year, and I'm going to remind you now, in this um, speech of Isaiah's, is a is a blistering critique of Yom Kippur. Uh, everyone's in synagogue. Of course, back then they were gathered wherever they were gathered at the temple, perhaps. Um, and uh, everyone's fasting, and they're bowing, as he'll say, bowing their heads like reeds in a marsh, and they are. Uh, putting ashes on them and putting on sackcloth to show their grief and sorrow and regret so that they can atone and have God forgive them. You know, the whole thrust of the Yom Kippur prayers. And everybody's there and, hey, you showed up in synagogue. You're there. You're with your community. You're fulfilling the rights of the holiday. And Isaiah says to everyone gathered, oh, really? You think you're really doing what Yom Kippur asked you to do? 
And as I, as I, again, as I never tire of saying, um, this critique of Yom Kippur is put smack dab in the middle of the Yom Kippur service so that we might snap out of it and remember that the performance of the ritual, the fasting and the prayer, uh, and uh, is, uh, is essentially worthless and empty if it isn't a way to um, inspire us to action. So here's what Isaiah says. Oh, wait, I'm going to move. There we go. Okay, here's what Isaiah says. Um, so give a full-throated cry. Hold nothing back. Raise your voice like a shofar. And tell my people of their transgressions. Tell the house of Jacob their sins. That's the, that's the sort of um, prelude, the uh, introduction. Mm -hmm. To be sure, they seek me daily. And you see the me is capitalized. He's speaking as usual as the prophets do for God. So this is in God's words. To be sure they seek me daily, how they would love intimate knowledge of my ways. This is sarcastic. They pretend to be a nation which has always acted justly, which has not abandoned the laws of its God. And they ask me to declare them innocent, how they would love to be near to God. And then Isaiah says in the voice of the congregation, for what purpose have we fasted when you were not watching? Why should we starve our bodies when you pay us no heed? Okay, so that's the setup. Uh, God says, uh, uh, God, speaking for God, Isaiah says, okay, here you all are in shul, and you're pretending that you're righteous and remorseful and atoning when all you're doing, and you think this is what God wants, that you should show up and perform, do this performance. And then Isaiah says, Look here, because on your fast day, you were looking after your business. In other words, the question, for what purpose have we fasted? Why should we starve our bodies when you pay us no heed? Look here, says God, because on your fast day, you were looking after your business, grinding down the toilers who work under you. Look here, you fast and strife and contention pummeling everyone with wicked fists. You're not fasting today to make your voice heard on high. Do you think this is the fast I desire? A day for starving your bodies? A day for bowing your head like a reed in the marsh? And sprawling in sackcloth and ashes? Do you really call that a fast, a day that yod desires of you? No, this is the fast I desire. To unlock the shackles of evil, to loosen the thongs of the yoke, 
to send forth crushed souls to freedom, to tear every yoke in two? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and this is our phrase, to bring the poor wanderer home? When you see the naked, clothe them. When you see your own flesh and blood, do not turn aside. Then shall your light burst forth like the dawn, and your healing will spring up quickly. Then your reputation for justice will precede you, and the glory of God will follow close behind. Then when you call, God will respond. As soon as you cry out, God will say, Hineni, here I am. If from your midst you remove the oppressive yoke, the menacing hands, the abusive words, if you offer your compassion to the hungry and satiate the famished, that's the fact that sharing your bread with the hungry and satiate added up to the same gematria total, I just spoke to me. Okay, that's my message. If you satiate the famished, famished, then your light will shine forth in the darkness and your shadows will change into noon. Yudhevav, he will guide you forever, satiating your thirst. There the word is repeated in typical poetic fashion and restoring your bones to vigor. You will become like a well-watered garden, a spring of unfailing fresh water. From your midst will step forth rebuilders of ruins. They will restore the foundations of old. You will be known as repairers of walls long breached, people who reclaim old paths to dwell in once more. I took that down so we could see each other for a minute. And Sarah says, reminds me of the words of Hamlet's stepdad, Claudius. My words fly up, my thoughts remain below. Words without thoughts never to heaven go. Oh, I'm glad you know your Shakespeare, Sarah. That's so beautiful. Only here we're talking about actions and not thought. Yes, well said. But let me speak for a moment about thoughts because in Jewish teaching, particularly Hasidic teaching, words without the intent behind them, empty words, uh, are truly meaningless. Um, and the way that gets and em empty actions are meaningless. So that, not just in Hasidic, in the, Has the, Hasidic, the Hasidic thought, um, oh, Ellen, that's right, I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, in Hasidic thought, they really focus on your inner intention versus your outer expression. And especially in prayer, um, empty words are useless. But Hasidic interpreters are, are expanding on a consistent theme 
in Jewish thought, going back to the earliest interpreters, which is that without your inner intent, your converse, your 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 um, your prayers, your goals of reaching to God, are useless. So the most famous example on the high holidays is hearing the shofar blow. The Talmud discusses at length that if you hear the shofar and your heart isn't directed towards its purpose, you have not fulfilled the mitzvah of hearing the shofar. Uh, that is, and they give examples. If you're walking by the synagogue and you forgot it's Rosh Hashanah and you hear the shofar blow, you have not fulfilled the mitzvah of hearing the shofar. Rather, your heart must be directed towards heaven while you're listening to the shofar so that your inner self can be brought alive. So this understanding of intention is as old as Judaism. It's as old as Isaiah. Now, by the way, Reverend Dr. William Barber, who is the uh, an amazing man, who's the president of the Poor People's Campaign and a couple of other very important uh, movements, uh, called his group Repairers of the Breach from this passage in Isaiah. Um, yes, thank you. <clears throat> so I want to repeat, this is so important to me, that the framers of our Yom Kippur liturgy, in the middle of our fast day, when we might be feeling pretty self-satisfied, hey, I'm in shul, I'm a good Jew. I'm not only in shul, I'm fasting. I'm like torturing myself. I'm a really good Jew. Uh, now, God, I've done it. Please give me a good year. Right? There we all are in synagogue. And right smack in the middle of the, of the prayers, we get to hear a message every year for the last 2,500 years. Not so fast, folks. I know that the fulfillment of external ritual um, is important and without it, we wouldn't be here together. But if you don't remember the inner purpose of your external behavior, if you don't fill it with intentions, if you're in shul fasting and bowing your head and thinking about what your profit margin is going to be this year, and thinking about uh, what you can, you know, what's in it for me and how your workers are doing, uh, what their productivity levels are and all that. And you're in shul bowing your head and saying, why isn't God listening to me? That's why. Well, that's why. Rather, God cares more that you tear up your loaves for the hungry than show up and be a good synagogue goer. You know, ironically, uh, for all of us who grew up uh, going to synagogue, Yom Kippur was a day, uh, as a lot of you know, when people would dress up. <laughs> um, 
because they're coming out into public. It's like, talk about missing the boat. Um, the, they weren't messing, they weren't dressing up in ancient, in Isaiah's time. They were showing up in their sackcloth and ashes, just as the tradition developed that you should just wear simple white later in Jewish tradition. But the instructions for how to afflict yourself, how to deny yourself, are you don't wear makeup, you don't put on jewelry, you don't wear fancy clothes, you don't, you know, so we human beings are endlessly able to forget the reason why we're fulfilling a, a practice. Let's see. Uh, Paul said, though the hope is that if you are shut all day fasting on some level, the process has begun. You have to start somewhere. It's true. So let's have a day when we fast and we ask for forgiveness and atonement. Absolutely. But if you, so you have to show up. The Hebrew equivalent of that are the rabbinic terms, as some of you know, keva and kavana. If you want to learn two new Hebrew words, these are crucial ones. Keva means the fixed performance of the ritual. If we don't have a fixed performance, we don't have a structure in which to show up in together. But fixed performance is empty without kavana. Kavana means intention. So if you're an actor and you're reciting your lines and you're not infusing them with the intent of the character, your performance is flat and no one gets the benefit of what you're supposed to be doing. So you remembered your lines. Good for you. That's not why you were on stage. You are on stage to take that structure and pour life into it, speaking of theater. And so the same in religious practice. You're there to take the existing structure of ritual and pour yourself into it to fulfill the purpose of the ritual. Keva and Kavana, um, Rabbi Ellen put those words um, into, into it. Well, you know, theater is a great metaphor for religious practice because, you know, theater and religious practice in ancient life were all tied together. Um, the way I like to describe it is that in religious practice, we are all the, we're not the audience. Oh, this is another whole shtick I can give you. Um, in religious practice, the congregation is not an audience. Although in modern secular times, you could just like, it's so hard to get that understanding across to the people in synagogue who are only accustomed to being an audience. Um, however, the purpose of a congregation is that we are actually all the cast. We're the performers. And the audience is God, as we understand it. The universe, the the, the the mystery, the great mystery that gives us life, the reverent relationship we want to have 
towards the mystery that gave us life, to whom it may concern, we're here. We sense the moral imperative. We're grateful for all we've been given. Now let us embody and enact um, our, our highest intentions. That for me is the purpose of ritual. It's why I'm in the ritual business. Right? That's what I do. And um, so like, I'm kind of like the director. I'm trying to get that performance out of everybody, if you know what I mean, so that it'll rise up like the words of Hamlet. Um, in the words of the Baal Shem Tov, uh, there are many Hasidic stories where the great Rebbe um, comes to the shul in his leading prayers on the high holidays and something's wrong because the Rebbe senses that all the prayers are staying in the room and everyone's getting oppressed by them and tries to somehow get across to everyone that their inner fire has to lift those words up so that they can go blow the roof off the place and elevate us all. <sighs> and then, of course, is the level that Isaiah is saying that our per, even our performance of the ritual is inadequate if it's not coupled with our activities in the world. Oh, a nice analogy to continue with this actor, performer analogy. Paul says, a good actor is always hitting their mark. Otherwise, it doesn't work. And the word for sin in Hebrew, chet, means missing the mark. So we all have to hit our marks. We all have to keep aiming and doing our best with our intention so that our actions sail towards the target. All of that's true. Being a performer myself, I obviously live in that understanding. Where's the energy? Am I fulfilling my role here? So in two levels, both while we're in synagogue, our words can't be empty. But furthermore, if we even fill it up with our passion-fervent wishes and righteousness and then walk out of the ritual unchanged and continue to not extend our generosity and, and righteousness to everyone we meet, we're still failing at the intention of the holy day. But a, but a successful ritual, a successful gathering does change us. It lifts us out of our petty concerns. It reminds us of the big picture. It, un, it, it rips us open. It, it's beautiful. And we do emerge changed and can carry that into our lives. There's a famous line in the Shabbat Shuvah Haftorah from Hosea, another ancient prophet. Take with you words and come before your God. And people don't know exactly what he's talking about, but we understand it to mean 
that um, both your words of prayer bring to God, but also then whatever you've taken from those words, take with you out into the world so that they keep resonating within you. <sighs> yes, theater and opera, the secularization of good davening. But we can all be great performers for God because each of us brings our gift. Right? We don't have to be a great opera singer. And this is really true. We can bring our inner fire. I don't care if it's on key. In prayer, it's the inner fire, the inner expression, the willingness to have your heart and your mind and your hands open, the humility, but also the sense that you have something to give at the same time. All of those classic spiritual categories are what we want to practice together as a community. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, thank you, Susan. And, uh, you know, I've said this before too, but I'll say because as a pro profoundly secular society, we have to train ourselves in many ways as utter beginners in this powerful quality of shared intention and ritual and the ineffable, impossible to quantify changes it makes in us that then send us back out into the world vibrating in a different way. For so many years here in Woodstock, this is my intention. People will come to services with no experience of what it means to be part of something like this and will find themselves weeping or find themselves experiencing something remarkable, but have no language for it because we weren't given that language. And they come and speak with me afterwards. And I try to ex express that there is an energetic realm that we all share. We have experienced it at wonderful concerts, right? I mean, Bruce Springsteen calls it going to church. He totally understands what he's doing in a, in a, in a arena as lifting as, as that transformative experience, right? I, he's spoken about it a lot. Pete Seeger had no interest in anything other than getting 3000 people singing together to honor, you know, it's like, we know how a concert can give us that experience. Uh, but it doesn't have to be hit or miss. We can, can that's the purpose of spiritual practice. Spiritual practice is people coming together with that intention um, rather than uh, being surprised by the result. And the more we come with that intention, the more successfully we can lift each other up. <sighs> but it also takes critique sometimes. Sometimes somebody has to stand up the director and say, cut, no, 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 no. Right? You know what I mean? That's what Isaiah is saying in the middle of the service. And our rabbis decided, we're going to put that in every year. 
<laughs> Paul's from Baltimore. <laughs> That's beautiful. Okay. Let's look at another passage now, all right? Uh, and when we hear that Haftorah on uh, Yom Kippur, you'll be primed for it. I'll share my screen. Look at this beautiful one. Viasem lecha shalom, and bestow upon you peace. So this is the um, last phrase of the priestly blessing. The priestly blessing, Numbers six. 26. Somebody's humming in a lovely way, but isn't muted. Oh, is that you, Ellen? Oh, thank I was you. I was doing the trope. Oh, oh, you were chanting it. Oh, beautiful. Do you want to chant it for us? Um, sure. I'll start with Yivarechecha. Okay. Yivarechecha Adonai Vishmarecha. <clears throat> Ya'er Adonai Panav Elecha Vihunecha Isa Adonai Panav Elecha Viasem Lecha Shalom. Thank you so much. I think I'm going to center this the these Hebrew lines. I'll show you why in a moment. There. Good. Um, I think it's it's not it's poetry. It's not prose. So I kind of want to look that way, and I'll I'll show you why in a little bit. And bestow upon you peace. Biasem lechashlam. Isn't that a beautiful gematria to come up? Just that in and of itself. I wish for all of us in the coming year as an intention. And Viasem lecha shalom, bestow upon you shalom. I will remind you that shalom means peace, but it means especially in Hebrew, well-being, as in ma shalom cha, wholeness, as in shlemut, so it's an experience not of absence of conflict in the sense of stasis, peace, peace and quiet. It's a different kind of peacefulness that is completeness and a sense of well-being. Isn't that beautiful? So I want to wish you this year a sense of wholeness, shleimut, and well-being. And where it comes from, which is so good to explore, is the priestly blessing. 
Oh, yes. That's right, Sylvia um, and, and Rabbi Ellen confirmed. Sure, Yaakov and Rene pair this prayer with the Buddhist meta prayer for well-being. So, again, forgive me if you've heard this before, but I first want to say that based on archaeological evidence, this is the oldest known prayer or blessing in Judaism because a little amulet was found that dates probably to the 6th or 7th century, 7th or 8th century BCE in Jerusalem that had this inscribed upon it. So we know that someone was wearing this around their neck, probably, like a chai or like a, some, other, some other kind of beautiful reminder 2,700 years ago. And we've been reciting it ever since. I guess I'm very taken by both, in both of these cases that words that were relevant to us almost 3,000 years ago are still relevant to us now. That is also humbling and wonderful. Um, we didn't we didn't invent it. <laughs> We're trying to embody stuff, the truths that have been around for a long time. And so in in chapter six, the high priest, Aaron, and I'll remind you, priest in Hebrew is Cohen. Uh, so, uh, let me stop sharing. I want to see who the Cohen here. Uh, Bobby Katz. Katz is a name that identifies you as a Cohen because it's an acronym of Cohen Sadiq. Katz is actually an acronym in Jewish tradition. Anybody else here a Cohen? By chance? Diane, you are? I didn't know that. Tell me where then, how you knew. Uh, unmute yourself for a sec. My father always told us that he was, so I believe him. I believe him too. <laughs> and and Ruth Hirsch, your mother's side of the cons. Con is another anglicization of Cohen. Um, so I'm actually mentioning it. Oh, your mom's maiden name, Barb, was Cohen? And your dad was also a Cohen? You're coming at... That's so cool. Paul, your mother was Cohen? Barb, you're saying you're Cohen on both sides? No. My mom was a Cohen, C-O-H-E-N, C -O -H -E -N, and my dad was a Cohen. Uh, he was of his lineage. Um, his lineage. And what was his name? Well, his name was Meltzer, which really... Meltzer. <laughs> that actually has another interesting origin. But... Yes, uh... but... But he claims he was a Kohen. I believe uh, it. I believe yeah. it. Um, the, the, I'm telling all of you Kohanim this. Anybody here with a Kohen lineage? Now, until now, Kohanim were only transmitted through the men. It was considered a male lineage. But um, let's change that. Um, and... Uh, um, so as probably many of you know, someone who, someone would know if they were a Kohen lineage because it was, it's such a source of status and pride in the Jewish world. 
it is such a source of status and pride that a variety of immigrants to Ellis Island gave themselves the name Cohen uh, when they talked to the immigration officials. But that's a minority, honestly, because as you probably know, a number of years ago, a, a genetic study was done. They found a marker for Cohen's that, that, that connected 85% of the Cohen's all the way back to ancient Israel. It's very cool. The other 15% are wannabes, but what are you going to do? Um, so, okay, so keep this in mind, you Kohen people. Yes, Reb Zalman considered women as Kohanim, and that would be the natural thing for us to do at this point, given that we are reframing Judaism beyond patriarchy. So we're just doing it. It's like, I'll let history be the judge. That's, that's where I stand on all that stuff. Um, in the meantime, it's, it, we're, it, that's, that's, that's what we're doing. So I'm going to share the screen again. Beautiful. Okay, so I want to identify, and I'll write about this soon, but I want to tell you, I want to identify anyone who is of a Cohen lineage in our congregation because the tradition is that the Cohens are the ones who give this blessing. Now, on Yom Kippur, it's an incredibly powerful ritual, also on Sukkot at many times during the year. It's called Duchening. And Duchening, as again, I'm sure some of you know, is where this symbol comes from. Because the tradition is, it says that the Kohen shall bless the children of Israel with these words, thus they shall connect my essence to the children of Israel, so that I myself will be blessing them, says God. Now, we just talked about the power of ritual with inner intention. The power of blessing is similar. When we're blessing somebody, it doesn't have to be in religious language. When we're wishing someone well, and we mean it from the bottom of our hearts, we are transmitting a blessing, right? If somebody sneezes and we say, God bless you, we're not necessarily, because our intention isn't lined with the, with the blessing, right? But whether we're using religious language or not, when we, from the from our deepest place are wishing someone well we're we are a vehicle a vessel for the energy of blessing and this was the purpose of aaron he was the mediator of blessing from god so that it could be experienced in human form a very very high task and this task persisted, this, this role for Kohanim has persisted to this day in Judaism, where anyone who is of a Kohen lineage will get up in a synagogue, and we have never done this, I would say in our egalitarian zeal. And I wanted to make sure we, I've said for years, we should find out who's a Kohen so they can fulfill their ancestral role. And I've never done it. 
And I realized, okay, this high holidays, this will be one of the aliyahs on Yom Kippur. I want to get all the Kohanim to be the, on Zoom or in person, to be the givers of the blessing. And you don't have to know it because traditionally, the leader, that'll be me, feeds you each word. And traditionally, the Kohens put their talit over their head, take their shoes off so they can be grounded and transmitters, put their hands out towards the congregation like this, which is an ancient, probably the letter Shin. That's probably what it is. But it's more like a divining rod, isn't it? It's very interesting. And then bestows the blessing on the people. As you probably heard, uh, traditionally the the congregation is not supposed to look so as they don't so that they don't get blown away by the power of the blessing, and they can receive it. It's all so beautiful. And again, we've never done it. And I want to do it this year. So Cohen's calling all Cohen's. That's uh, <laughs> calling all Cohen's. I want to do this this year on Yom Kippur. Okay. So let's be in touch. Um, and I'll make a public I'll make a larger announcement so we can collect all of us. And whether you're in person or at home, I want to enact this um, ritual this year on Yom Kippur. I'm really excited about this. I'm really, I'm really glad I, I, this opportunity dropped. Let's see. Paul says Thomas Mann, in Joseph and his brothers, called Jacob a man of peace, whose mere present presence created a more civilizing and loving atmosphere. And Jacob was a mama's boy who preferred to read books inside tents. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> I um. I think peace can also be a really dynamic, um, even, you know, I think it can happen while we're moving hard and fast too. Uh, but uh, that takes that takes a lot of presence. Um, okay. So Yodhevave spoke to Moses. Speak to Aaron and his sons and say to them, Thus shall you bless the children of Israel. Say to them, Yivarechecha Adonai Yishmarecha. May Yod Hevavhe bless you and protect you. Ya'er Aronai Panav Elecha Vichunecha. May Yod Hevavhe enlighten you and fill you with grace. Yisa Adonai Panav Elecha Vyasem Lecha Shalom. May Yod Hevavhe's presence be with you and bestow upon you. And in so doing, Aaron and his sons shall connect my essence to the children of Israel. In Hebrew, v'samu et shmi al b'nei Yisrael, literally it means, and thus they shall place my name upon the children of Israel. But God's name, remember, is God's essence. Names are essential. And so I translated it in this way, which made more sense to me. 
Thus they shall connect my essence to the children of Israel so that I myself will be blessing them. Va'ani, I, Abarchem, will be blessing them. Isn't that beautiful? I never tire of this passage. I'll also point out again, to some of you who are well aware of this, that it's a piece of poetry, totally refined, these three lines. It's three words, and then five words, and then seven words. And if you take the time, as I have, to count the letters, it's 15 letters, 20 letters, and 25 letters. Everything about this blessing has been honed, has been refined to be as clear and intentional as possible, like a perfect haiku that just transforms us. Okay. So when the phrase comes up, may God bestow upon you peace, by putting it in context, I want us all to understand that we can all be blessing channels with the right intention. I want, to, I want us all to go into the new year, all of us who choose to, thinking, our, thinking about refining ourselves, gathering our intention, keeping our hearts open. Now refining means we have to look at the, how do we release our hatred? How do we release our anxiety? How do we, how do we fill ourselves up, satiate ourselves with the goodness of life in such a way that we can be channels of blessing? This is a beautiful intention for starting a new year, but it requires attention to what's getting in our way. And it requires this beautiful act of clearing the way. And the beneficiary of that becoming that channel of blessing then becomes ourselves immediately. We are no longer giving something to someone else. We're not, there's no zero sum in any of this. This has nothing to do with our ego, except the pleasure it gives us and might give our ego of successfully being a channel. There's nothing wrong with, with our egos being happy, you know, um, with basking in that goodness. Hey, I did it. And then of course, in the world of ego, you can't hang around there. You go on to the next opportunity to be a blessing giver, right? Um, so in fact, Think of the beauty and privilege that Aaron and the Cohens and all their descendants might have in fulfilling their role as channels for divine blessing. 
and how could one possibly be a high priest if one didn't wasn't able to perform that role paul says and the mudra a way of drawing in and holding the energy exactly to tame and train the mind all spiritual traditions are after the same thing i am persuaded of that how to be a channel for the infinite energy that somehow travels through us and into the world and be of service to that energy. A Kohen is a servant of God. And listen to this Paul's beautiful, beautiful way of saying it. Both a life of meaning and satisfaction. So well put. Our meaningful lives can be so satiating to ourselves if we know that we're trying to serve the source of all by being a channel. We can give blessing through any way that we perform in the world if we get out of the way and give what we've got without expectation of return to the world. And in so doing, we're already the beneficiaries. We just pay it forward constantly, as long as we're able to receive. So we want to cleanse ourselves of anything that is impeding both our receiving and our giving. I'm so happy to say that out loud. So helpful to me. Which brings us to the end of our hour. Why not? May you be blessed in all of these ways. And Cohen's, be in touch with me. Send me an email. Remind me. Amen. I want my get out of jail free card. Sometimes in services, I do daydream and I think about mundane things. Of course we do. Thank you. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not as, um, I'm not, I'm not quite like Isaiah. Isaiah <laughs> was hammering on it. But I say you're okay. And we'll just <laughs> right. try again. Try again, try again, try again. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. I'll pause the recording. I'll stop the recording. Toda.